So like Aaron mentioned, we're going we're gonna to jump into a new, new series on Habakkuk. Did I say it right? <clears throat> it's actually one of my favorite books, the whole Bible. Um, it's just, it, it just seems so applicable to our lives now. And yet, it's from many, many years ago. Um, what makes Habakkuk stand out is that he's a minor prophet, one of the 12 minor prophets, and he actually is, uh, it's not in the same vein as uh, what you would think a minor prophet is. Most minor prophets are hearing a word from the Lord, and then they go out into their, the community, either Judah or Israel, and proclaim to the people, this is what God said. Habakkuk is different. It's actually more like a psalm where Habakkuk is expressing these, these, these complaints, these, these things to the Lord saying, God, well, I, I can't understand how these things fit together. What's, what's actually happening here? Um, and so he's, he's, he's proclaiming something to the Lord and then the Lord answers him. He's actually not going out to anyone in Israel or Judah and proclaiming anything. He's, he's talking directly to the Lord. So, because, I mean, many of the Old, uh, the old Testament prophets, you just, you read the book and you're like, what, where, where does this fit into the storyline? How does this, how do we relate to this? And so I'm going to back up a little bit and I'm going to focus on uh, one key attribute of God's promises to the nation of Israel and lead us up to when this time was that Habakkuk uh, might have been written or had this experience of expressing his life to the Lord. And it's, it's actually going to fit in uh, right after where we got out of uh, First and Second uh, Kings. So titled this message, Misunderstanding Leads to Complaining. So here's the background. Set up the book for us. God made a promise way back in Genesis 12 to Abraham. Abraham, Abram at the time. And he says to him, I want to make you a great nation. He calls to him, Genesis 12, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your kindred, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you a great name so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And so God establishes this covenant, this promise to Abraham, and then he carries it out through uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's sons end up going into Israel, or I'm sorry, Egypt, right? They, they leave the promised land in order to uh, get away from the famine. And at the end of Joseph's life, on his deathbed, he says this, this is Genesis 50, verse 24, I am about to die, but God will surely visit you and bring you up from this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this, this promise is, is something that the people of Israel are holding on to. We're going to become this great nation, and we're going to have our own land one day. And so 
the nation of Israel eventually becomes slaves in Egypt and they cry out to the Lord, please set us free. And God raises up Moses, right? At the burning bush, God says, hey, come over here, Moses. Tells him, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna set my people free. And Moses says, who even are you? God says, I am who I am. This is verse, uh, chapter three, verse 16 and 17. The direction they gave to Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God, your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you, what, what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the land of affliction to the land of other nations, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he takes Moses and Israel, he sets them free out of Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai. And he says, this is how I want you to live with me. Gives them instructions on what to do and how how to interact with him. In Deuteronomy, he says, 28 verse one, it says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. You'll be the pinnacle of nations if you, if you listen and obey. They get to the doorstep of the promised land and they turn back, they fail to trust in the Lord. Moses dies. And the command goes over to Joshua. Joshua chapter one, verse two and three says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over to Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to you, to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will, I will have given to you, just as I promised Moses. The promise is, is going from person to person and God is saying, I'm gonna be faithful to do this. I'm gonna make you a great nation. And then we, I don't know if you guys remember, we, we spent some time in Judges. Remember how just gritty that was? It's so hard to hear every time of the nation of Israel not, not coming through and listening to the Lord time and time again, and yet they get into the promised land and, and God establishes a king and he, he, he makes a, a, a new promise, a new covenant to David. He says, not only are you gonna live in the promised land, but I'm actually going to set you and your sons on a throne and you are going to rule over my kingdom forever. Not just be a nation. You're gonna be a kingdom. There's one little stipulation. God sets up David, and then he sets up Solomon. And as Solomon builds the temple, God steps in and says, okay, remember, if you obey my covenants, everything's gonna go well for you. But if you don't, this is what he says, 1 Kings 9, 6 through 7. But if you turn aside from me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb, a, by, a byword among all peoples. And would you know, that's exactly what Solomon does. 
as he turns away from the Lord. And right after that, Rehoboam, his son, and Jeroboam split the nation. Now there's a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Did you know that the northern kingdom of Israel produced zero godly kings? Zero. Zero kings who followed the Lord. Zero kings who followed in the footsteps of David. And Judah wasn't actually that much better. So we just come out of this series where we looked at Hezekiah, Manasseh, and Josiah. And there's this, there's this uh, vacillation, right? This moving forward, coming closer to the Lord, and then dipping back down. And then there's this high peak with Josiah, and Josiah is the last high peak in Judah. And right after that, everything just descends into chaos. And right then, that's when I think the best option for Habakkuk is on the other side of Josiah, when the nation is just going crazy, not following after the Lord, not listening to the Lord, completely idolatrous. So so God has to do something about that, right? If you follow after me, everything's gonna go well for you. If you don't, something bad's gonna happen. So Habakkuk looks around the nation of Judah and he starts to make some assumptions. This isn't exactly how I imagined God's people to be. So I'm gonna give you, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna break down chapter one. Chapter one is two complaints Habakkuk complains twice, and in the middle of those two complaints, God answers him, okay? So we're gonna break down the chapter. Chapter one, the first section. Complaint number one. What's happening here is that Habakkuk is misunderstanding God's plan for his nation. Misunderstanding God's plan for his nation. Habakkuk looks around, he says, I can't understand how this is going on. What's going on here? Chapter one, verse two, he says to the Lord, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? How long are we gonna have to put up with this? He looks out at the nation of Judah and he says, if I, if I remember correctly, the law of the Lord says that we're to love God and then love other people. And yet, it seems very much like this nation is just not up for that. <laughs> Does it seem like there's a whole lot of love? Actually, what portrays this nation is violence. How long are we gonna have to put up with this? Don't you hear people saying that about the church? I, I, came to, I came to a church and it doesn't really seem like they love each other. You heard people make that comment? Habakkuk 1.3, he continues. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me and strife and contention arise. 
If Habakkuk is after Josiah, then what's happening is he's, he's in the middle of this completely idolatrous nation, pursuing other gods, sacrificing children, sexual immoralities running rampant. Wait, am I talking about then or now? Both. But here's the hard thing. I think those things are, are happening and they will continue to happen. But what I have a harder time with is looking at the church in general and seeing people like Joel Osteen come to power, rise up. And I say to God, what? That's not, that's not the truth. Why do you continue to allow that guy to just proclaim things that are just so absurd, right? This isn't about health and wellness. It's about coming to the Lord and laying my life down. Why do I have to see these things? Or, or even worse than that is when you hear these, these stories about church leadership being abusive towards other people, specifically children. And then the testimony after that is, well, we just didn't do anything about it because that seemed like a hard road to hope. Huh? That's not how that's supposed to be. What's happening here, Lord? Habakkuk continues and he says, verse four, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is saying, the law is actually doing nothing for us in this moment. What's happening, Lord? You you gave us this this insanely beautiful thing. I don't know if you know, if you realize this, but the nation of Israel, when they received the law, it was a party. They loved it. God was revealing himself through the law. This is, this is my character. This is who I am. This is who you are. And this is how I want you to live with me. It wasn't a burdensome thing for them to have. And yet, they tossed it aside like it was nothing. Hebrews 10.1, for the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the realities themselves. It can never, by the same sacrifices offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. The law had a purpose, and it was not to make perfect. Paul says, in Romans 3.20, he says, therefore no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, for the law merely intends, merely brings awareness of sin. What the law is supposed to do is supposed to, supposed to prick our conscience. It's supposed to say, hey, that, that isn't actually good for you. Let me, let me help you lead a, a, a life that is worthy of the Lord, right? Let me help you not lead such a disastrous life. <laughs> And yet, how easy is it for us to become callous, to callous our own hearts before the Lord and say, nah, 
I don't need the law. I don't have anyone specifically in mind when I say this statement. And I only say it because it's true for me. But in this room and all across this nation, there are people sitting in church services who the law has done nothing for. It's done nothing for people, for some of us. So what's happening in Judah and what Habakkuk is seeing is that these Jews have become Jews just by geography. They were born into a nation. They weren't Jews because they loved the Lord or had a testimony of God's work in their lives. That was at one point me sitting in church having been born in the South, the Bible Belt. I'm just a Christian because I'm here. Because I've come to this church and there's nothing really that happens in between this Sunday and the next Sunday, but I'm faithful to come. Some of us sitting in this room right now are nominal believers. I mean, I don't really, I don't really have a born again experience. I never really had know what it's like to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit come into us, to give our whole lives. We've never counted the cost at what it means to really follow after the Lord. If that's you, I say that something God is offering you something so much more than just to come and sit and hear me talk about a Bible. He's offering you a life with him. Habakkuk looks around at this nation. He can't understand. How can we be so close to the living God and yet live like this? This isn't how I'm supposed to go. But Habakkuk misunderstands something. He misunderstands God's character and purpose by questioning his ability. Questions his ability. Where are you? Why are you so idle in not doing anything? So the next section is God's answer to Habakkuk. And what he misunderstands in this section is God's established plan his plan from long ago. God says to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Basically, what, if, if you're from the South, you're familiar with this, this phrase. What, what God is saying to Habakkuk is, uh, Hey, y'all, watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do something crazy. And you're not going to believe it. Even though I'm going to tell you about it, you're, you're still not going to believe it. You're going to be astounded at what, at what the words are. And so it, God actually 
God actually steps in and he breaks down all of Habakkuk's complaints. He answers each one of them. So Habakkuk's first complaint is, look, look around. What's going on? Verse three. Put up that next slide, Scott. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do I have to look on these things? And God says to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see. Your, your perspective is too small, Habakkuk. You're looking at Judah only. And my plan is much greater than this. You're gonna have to lift your eyes and see more, see from my perspective in order to be able to catch what I'm doing here. Then he says in verse three, the next slide. Why are you idle and looking at wrong? And God responds, he says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. saying, I haven't been idle at all. You just haven't been able to see and understand what I've been doing. Then Habakkuk cries out against violence. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And God says, I'm you think that's violence? I'm actually partnering with this other nation and they, they just have violence flowing out of them. Habakkuk is, is questioning God's ability to deal with the violence. Revelation twenty two twelve says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. It's not, that, it's not that God's not going to repay violence for violence. It's just that we can't really understand how he's going to accomplish that. And then God answers him the fourth time about justice. Habakkuk says, so justice goes forth perverted. There is no justice in this land, in this city. And God says, this people that I'm raising up, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And I am actually bringing them into the city to bring forth my justice. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will save you. God is most certainly capable of dealing with justice, delivering justice. And so the answer to Habakkuk is, God does have a plan, you just don't understand it. Habakkuk is saying, what, your timing is all off. Why are you, why are you, doing it in this way? Why are you delivering justice in this method? Do you know when God decided to
to bring this nation against Israel was actually before they even got into the promised land. Deuteronomy 28, 15. All the way back in Moses' time, God says, if you come, if you obey me, I will bring you into the land. But if you don't, this is what's going to happen. Deuteronomy 28, 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. I'm going to remove you from the land. The question is timing, and yet God's saying, no, 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 I knew this was gonna happen even before you were here, even before you came into the promised land. Questions, wait, wait. Why are you, why is this happening? Why, why do you keep letting these evil things happening within our own nation? There's a story from a, a friend of mine. During the pandemic, he bought his kids iPads to study, right? Out of school, we're gonna do school at home Here's some iPads so that you can do that. Here's the rule though. You cannot take your iPads into your room at night. It's not gonna happen. They're for school. You can use them during the day, but not at night. He says, one night I had this inclination. I should check to see if the iPads are plugged in downstairs, not in my kid's bedroom. So he goes downstairs and he checks. iPads aren't there. Walks into his kid's room. They have them. We already said, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna, we're gonna leave these out of your bedroom. And another night, same inclination. I think I need to check on the iPads. Goes into his kid's room, finds the iPads in there. You know, that glow from the screen in a dark room goes in and he grabs the iPad and he says, listen, this is not what this is for. We're gonna have to do something different. As he walks out of the room, he takes the iPad and he crushes it in half on the door frame. That's making a statement, right? The guy who bought the iPad has the right to do with the iPad what he wants to do, right? especially when it's conflicting with the outcomes I want to have in my own children. This is the same thing that God's saying to Habakkuk. This is, this is not how I want my people to live, and I am capable of doing something about it. And I will. I actually have a plan to do something about it. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will bring healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Don't think that, that you have all the understanding. You're, you're capable of, of understanding God's plan in its fullness. See, the, the point is, is, is it's, not, it's not that God is lacking a plan here. It's not that he's idle 
and unable to interject into the lives of the Jews. It's that his plan isn't my plan and I'm not God. And yet, how often do we assume that place? This is my plan and I expect you to make it happen. The ways of God are so much higher than us. You guys remember what happens uh, when Jesus tells Peter, I'm gonna die. I'm actually gonna give up my life for you. Tells his disciples all this and Peter says, what? No, 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 that can't be the plan. No way. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. This surely is my plan. Do not, do not keep me from my plan, Peter. And yet, we have a tendency to do that. So Habakkuk says, I can't understand why you're letting this happen. And God says, no, I have a plan. And then Habakkuk says, uh, wait, what? That's your plan? Second complaint is that he misunderstands God's intentions with other nations. Habakkuk 12, 1 through 112. Habakkuk responds to the Lord and he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them a judgment and you, O rock, have you established them from reproof? You who are, pure, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Understand what he's saying there. God, you are so holy, you're so good, you're so righteous. How in the world could you partner with a nation like that? You're supposed to be our God. And then he says, oh, and by the way, you're gonna bring that treacherous nation to teach us a lesson? They're, they're far worse than us. Shouldn't it be the other way around where we get to teach them a lesson? How is it that God can do that? We question God again and again and again because we don't understand his plan. We shall not die. What, he's, what he means there is, is, no, no, you're supposed to establish this nation forever. We're supposed to be your people. You're gonna be our king, you're gonna be our God, and you're gonna make sure that we are here. And yet God says to Solomon, 1 Kings 9, 7, I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of sight. God is actually fulfilling his promise right here, right now. 
The problem is, is there's something, there's something worse afoot than this terrible nation. This terrible nation who is distant from God. There's something worse than that happening right here in this text, and it's this. It's that what was supposed to be a holy nation who had drawn close to God and been given the law had said, we don't need you anymore. You understand that's a far worse problem. You've come close to God and yet you said, I don't really need you. I can compartmentalize my time on Sunday morning and then do whatever I want with the rest of my week. Live the life that I want. That's exactly what Judah's doing. And Habakkuk is saying, what is happening here? God, God's plan has been made known again and again and again. Right about this time, there's someone else prophesying by the name of Isaiah to the same people, same nation, and he says this in Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. It says, yet it is the will of the Lord to crush him and he has put him to grief Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This passage is the passage that tells Israel, I'm going to send you a suffering servant. I'm going to send you someone who will die for you. And yet there is almost no one who catches God's plan in this moment. When Jesus steps onto the scene, no one is expecting the Messiah to be someone who hangs on a cross. What they're expecting is for the establishment of his kingdom again. This eternal reign to come here and now. And yet that wasn't the plan. Paul says, Ephesians 1, 7 and 9, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. have really just one option when it comes to understanding God's plan. One option. Right here and now. If his ways really are so far beyond me, so grand in scope to exceed the limits of human intellect, inconceivable to those who bear witness of him as Lord, then in this place, I have but one action, to bend my knee and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And Paul says in Romans 12, he says, I give you this warning, don't think too highly of yourselves. 
Don't think that you've got it all together, that you understand everything that God is going to do in this time. You have but one action before you, to place God on his throne and say, you are the living God. I'll place all my trust in you. Or you can choose to continue to think that you know better than him, which is insanely foolish. Habakkuk is teaching us to humble ourselves, holding our plans with open hands, and yet holding tightly to the plans God has for his creation. Let's pray. Father, you are so much grander than anything we could ever imagine. For you to come and lay your life down, to put on human flesh and give up your life for us willingly is so far beyond our scope of what we would choose to do and yet it's exactly what you're willing to do for us. God, I ask right now for those in this room who have come near to you but have remained at a distance thinking they know better, God, that, that you would give them the opportunity to say yes to you and your plan. And that for the rest of us who have, who have reached out and, and, and taken hold of you, God, that we would continue to live lives as ones who are submitted to your plan, to your wisdom, to your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. As we respond this morning, I encourage you to find someone to pray with, especially if you're one of those people I've been talking about. There's communion set up across the room. There's offering receptacles in the back, and we can sing with our worship team. So good to celebrate him, is it not? Amen. The next couple of weeks, if you're here, this is what's going to happen. God's going to grow in your understanding, your understanding of his power and wisdom, and you are going to find yourself feeling a little bit smaller. But it is because of God's goodness that that actually is the safest place for us. It's a place of security and confidence because God's wisdom and power are infinite and his goodness can be depended upon. It's truly good news. So we're going to keep going into uh, some, some heavy stuff on the justice of God, uh, his, the way that he, the, the peoples of the earth, and I'm uh, looking forward to that, uh, our time together. So this afternoon at 2 o'clock, uh, we're going to gather out at the homestead. You're welcome to join us, bring aside this to share, celebrate in baptisms with us. If you're one of those getting baptized, if you can meet with me here in like two minutes, right up here in front of the stage, I'd like to connect with you. Uh, we don't officially end till 1230, so if you can stick around and help us pick up chairs, it'll get our crew to the picnic on time. 
And if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, or you know someone that that's true, uh, let us know. We'd like to help you out. God bless.